Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our podcast service of worship for Sunday, the 6th of June. We begin with our call to worship. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power for ever and ever. Let us come to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. God of all majesty, you have given us a wonderful world and have also given us the ability to explore and to understand it. We praise you for the majesty and beauty of creation and for the opportunities which we have to enjoy and to appreciate all that you give to us. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for how you call us, your followers, to be salt and light, to have an impact on the communities in which we live. We pray that as we seek to witness for you in the world, we'll always do so in a loving and gentle way, remembering that we need to be faithful to our calling to be salt and to be light. Loving Lord, as We as a church, as a society, as a nation, and as a world seek to wrestle with significant issues. We pray for wisdom and discernment and compassion for all. And together we pray the family prayer as given to us by Jesus. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory for ever and ever. Amen. Our Bible reading today is taken from the lectionary. It's uh, for today. It's First Samuel chapter 8 and we're reading verses one through to 20. Let us hear the word of God. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not that they have rejected you, but they've rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. 
Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plough his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want the king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. And may God bless to us this reading of his word. What kind of government do we want? If you listen to Nolan or Talkback, you'll discover lots of different opinions on that one. It's a question that we've been asking here for a very long time. And a question that's asked in countries all over the world. What kind of government do we want? And it's a question that even the ancient Israelites wrestled with 3,000 years ago. At that time, Israel was made up of 12 distinct tribes. They pretty much operated independently of each other, each having their own leadership. And those leaders were called judges. These judges were sometimes prophets, sometimes priests, sometimes charismatic war leaders who rose up in times of emergency. Some it has to be said, were better than others. But at the time of our passage today, the most respected of those leaders, respected among all the tribes of Israel, was a prophet called Samuel. Now Samuel toured an area from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah on a yearly basis to deliver his judgments and to settle disputes and to lead the people. But he was beginning to get a bit old for all of this. And he was thinking his two sons might replace him, but the problem is that they were not of his calibre. They were given to bribery, and instead of upholding justice, it was clear that what they were about was undermining justice. So some of the leaders of the tribes got together and said to Samuel, Samuel, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us. Israel never had a king like other nations. Now, there was nothing wrong about the idea of kingship in itself. It seems, in fact, that God had made provision for that in the book of Deuteronomy, where we read in chapter 17. And there, there are clear instructions about the kind of person their king should be, should they decide to appoint one. A king who must be of God's choosing, 
a king who reveres the Lord and follows his precepts, who does not accumulate riches or military might, who does not consider himself better than his brothers. <laughs> you certainly don't often find many kings with those kinds of qualities. But kingship was often the way God described his rule over Israel in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament kingship, especially the Davidic kingship, had messianic overtones pointing towards the future Messiah, King, or the Christ, who would bring God's kingdom on earth. So the idea of a king in itself was not necessarily a wrong request. But the reason for demanding a king was wrong in this instance. God's people were under pressure. The enemy, the Ammonites, were on the horizon and Israel wanted a king to lead them and to go out before them and to fight their battles. It was, in fact, a sign that they no longer were putting their confidence in their divine king, in God. But instead they were looking for a human king to put their trust in. And that's why God says to Samuel in verses 7 and 8, It's not that they've rejected you, Samuel, but they have rejected me as their king. In fact, God says this is something that his people have been tend have tended to do again and again ever since he brought them out of Egypt, exchanging their confidence in him for trust in a human substitute. It's a mortal king, not God, who they want to occupy the place of trust and confidence in their life together. And these words, we have to remember, are written for us too, because we know that tendency is always in us as well. The spiritual descendants of God's people, Israel. There's that tendency in us for our confidence to slip from God to ourselves. It happens in our own lives. It happens in church. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labour in vain. And that's why the most important meeting in church should be our prayer meeting because it's in our prayer that our confidence in God to accomplish his work is expressed. The tendency to trust something or someone else other than God. That's, uh, that's one of a number of tendencies among God's people that we see in this chapter in 1 Samuel traits that recur in his people again and again. And 1 Samuel helps us to see those things in the people of God at the time of Samuel, and it helps them to see them in ourselves too. And the second tendency that we see in God's people here is a tendency to think that they know better. God warns them through Samuel that what they can expect if they opt for a king like all the other nations around them. Unlike that ideal king described in Deuteronomy, they should know that the king that they appoint in reality will look pretty much like all of the other tyrannical kings around them. He will take them, take from them the best of all that they have. He will take from them a tenth of everything in taxes. Their sons will be taken to serve in the army to run in front of his chariots. Their daughters will be taken to be cooks and bakers and perfume makers. And even they themselves will become his slaves. God is saying to them, don't go into this. 
with rose-tinted glasses. You need to wake up to the fact that this will be no picnic. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us, like all the other nations. Now we've got to realise here that Samuel isn't just some overly cautious old man rambling on, but he was a prophet, God's prophet. Which means that these were God's words. This was God speaking through his prophet. They weren't rejecting Samuel, but they were rejecting God's word, God's warning for them. It's as if they're saying, we know better, even better than God. And isn't that a tendency in us sometimes, God's people today? We know what God says on such and such a matter, and yet we choose to do it differently. We know better. We know better even than God. First Samuel chapter 8 highlights for us a tendency to substitute our trust in God for trust in other things or people. And it highlights also in us a tendency to think that we know better, even better than God. And the third and the last tendency that we see in God's people here in this passage is that of trying to be like everybody else. As I said, the request for a king in itself was not wrong, but the motivation behind it was wrong. And in verse 20, we see what that motivation was. When the people say, and then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and to fight our battles. The primary motivation for them wanting a king was not that they might know God's kingly rule over them, that they might be like all of the other nations. And the thing is, Israel was never meant to be like everybody else around them. In fact, their very calling by God as a people was to be different from the other nations. God had chosen them to be his people, his treasured possession. They'd been brought into a special relationship with the eternal God which was a huge privilege, but it was also a great responsibility to be different, to be holy as the Lord their God is holy. Sometimes the people of Israel were uncomfortable with that, and sometimes we too can be uncomfortable with that. It's easier to go with the flow, to blend in with everybody else, to adopt their standards, to enjoy their lifestyle, when is it time to be like the other nations? And when is it time to maintain a distinctiveness based on our identity in Christ? That's a difficult question to ask sometimes, isn't it? For example, when issues surrounding the end of life arise, when, it, when, when is it right to go with the flow of voices outside the church and be like the other nations? And when is it time for raising a distinctive voice arising from our identity in Christ? It's not a bad thing to be able to look at ourselves, to know our tendencies and our characteristic traits. It helps us to hear God's voice. It helps us to avoid temptations. And perhaps more than anything else, it helps us to better appreciate the grace of God. To think that he continues to love us, 
and to use us, despite all of these traits and all of our wrong choices, our misplaced hopes. He continues to work out his purposes in and through his people, in spite of all these things. Do we want to be the same as those around us? Or do we want to be something different? Do we want to blend in? Or do we want to stand out? Amen. Let us now bring to God our prayers for one another and our prayers for our world. Let's pray. And we begin by, by taking a moment to remember those who need our prayers at this time. Those who aren't well at the moment. Those unable to come out to church yet who would just love to be there, those undergoing courses of treatment or awaiting surgery, those who are weary and in need of encouragement. Lord, hear our prayers. Minister your healing. Maybe even make us part of the answer to those prayers, perhaps to be an encourager, to be of help, to strengthen the weak. We pray for those who are grieving the loss of a loved one. Lord, bring comfort and the strength and grace at these times that only you can provide. Those facing difficult family situations, those dealing with addictions, those finding themselves in debt. We think about some of the work going on in our wider presbytery of South Belfast. Today we remember the International Meeting Point and we pray for Keith and Sharon and Henry and all the volunteers, including those from our own congregation. We pray, Lord, that through all of these practical ways of helping people and offering a welcome and friendship, that the love of Christ will really be seen. We pray for the safety of all who work in the centre and for wisdom and grace and sensitivity to different cultures and values. For the ability of the team to cope with ever-increasing numbers, Lord, give guidance for the future of this work as it continues to grow and to develop. We thank you, Lord, for the decision reached this week by the G7 nations to reform taxes, holding rich multinational companies accountable in getting us on the path to a fairer world. We pray, Lord, that these reforms will better allow countries to tackle the current health crisis, to tackle poverty and climate change, especially in poorer nations across our world. We pray for the leaders representing the UK, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the US, South Korea, India, South Africa and Australia, who will all be attending the G7 Summit in Cornwall this week. Lord, we pray that you would help them to take concerted action to defend the cause of the weak, to maintain the rights of the poor and oppressed, to rescue the weak and the needy of our world, as we read in Psalm 82. Help them to tackle recovery and climate change together. All these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And now may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son and Holy Spirit be upon you 
and remain with you this day and forevermore. Amen.